Hey, murder lovers. My name's Mackenzie. And this is Patina. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. Your turn. I am... We're still on our marathon (laughs) recording session. This is sesh number two. And I am going to tell you a murder story. Because that's what we do here. That is what we do here. That is what we do. Yeah. People are like, wait, what? A murder story? That's not what I signed up for. This one is very interesting. And I'm really glad that the last episode we had a conversation besides just the facts about what happened. Because this one is definitely going to go that route as well. Mm. Having that conversation, not only on... The details of what happened with the murder, because there is a murder, but also the legal side, which is always interesting to me. I like it and I hope you guys like it too. And I simmered it down to the interesting parts, of course, um, the trial. So here we go. Let's jump in. All right. This is the story of Daphne Wright. I love the name Daphne. Also, just side note. <laughs> I like the name Lola. Nobody, that is a pretty name. Don't steal it from me. Nobody out there <laughs> steal my names. So Daphne Wright is, or this story in general, I will start with by prefacing that a lot of the media titled it Lesbian Triangle Gone Wrong. And I will make sense of that in here just a second. Okay. So Daphne Wright, she was born in North Carolina She was one of five kids. When she was younger, she was diagnosed with rubella and lost her hearing as a result of that. Mm, Okay. So she never really had a grasp of language before she lost her hearing. And then there's just different things, just how it gets translated into ASL, into American Sign Language. So there's some things that because she became deaf before she had that understanding, it did affect how things were communicated okay okay so as a kid she was a bright kid she was great at sports um she was really close with her father and at the age of 17 her father passed away from cancer and at this point she was devastated she had leaned on her father a lot and had gotten really close to her father because he embraced her being deaf and having to learn sign language and he learned it and out of her entire family he was the one that was best able to communicate with her okay so obviously this was a devastating moment for her she dropped out of high school in 2001 she met a woman named sally collins they met on on a lesbian chat room they started talking they built a relationship and they moved in together Sally was from Wisconsin, so Daphne moved over to Wisconsin with her. Both didn't have great jobs, Mm -hmm. and they lived mostly off of their social security checks for disability. Okay. And because it was hard to meet ends and everything, they both picked up their stuff and moved to South Dakota in 2004 with a mutual friend named Jackie Chessmore. She offered to rent them a room in her house, which they also met her on an online chat room. But Jackie was not 
involved in their relationship. So it wasn't like a romantic type of chat room. No, okay. I don't think so. I think it was just a place a where right Got people it. can okay, go okay. and meet. Okay. I was just trying to figure out intention. So with Jackie Chessmore, it was just a friendship, and Jackie offered to rent them a room in their house that was affordable to both of them. So they decided to move there in two thousand four. Okay, so. According to Jackie, once Sally and Daphne moved into her house, they would argue a lot. I'm not trying to be rude, and if I am, I'm sorry. In one of the videos that I saw, she described that, you know, the arguing was some some sign language and a lot of um, noises. Yeah. So... That would make sense. Um, or, Sorry. Are yeah, I might wo- cut this out. Are both women deaf? Yes. Both? Okay. I must have missed that. Okay. That would make a lot of sense if it's a lot of sign language and noises because if they lost their hearing early, <clears throat> then their speech is going to be really impacted by that. Right. And that's part of sign language, especially if you haven't developed that speech part. And I'm sorry, I did fail to mention Sally Collins is also deaf. Okay. A lot of their arguments were stemmed off of that financial strain that they were both having. I'll bet. Because, again, they were both surviving off these social security checks for their disability and nothing else at this point when they moved into uh, South Dakota. So their relationship was getting worse and worse. And Sally decided to move on from that relationship and moved out of Jackie's house. So that kept Daphne at Jackie's house and Sally moved into her own apartment. She moved to an apartment in Sioux Falls that is known in the community as the deaf apartments. And this is just because there's a big... A large community of deaf people. Exactly. So it's always interesting to me how people tend to congregate with with similar people sure oh for example like in staten island you have a huge italian population and um in one of the boroughs you have a really big jewish population like they tend to find each other exactly yeah so and this is exactly why these this complex although they do have their own name they were called and known as the deaf apartments to the area okay and during her time there sally met another woman named darlene they rapidly became friends they would both meet at each other's apartments and they enjoyed playing cards a lot together and just hanging out in general okay. darlene vanderkeesen was a straight woman and was just hanging out with sally for the sake of friendship okay she so just found her as their friends be a cool person i guess daphne did not like sally hanging out with darlene she was jealous a of lot that of relationship. Very old names. Yes, <laughs> it's hard to keep. Tra- Daphne, Darlene, and Sally. Yes, it sounds like it could be off of a fifties TV show, like the new Golden Girls. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's like Laverne and Shirley. So she was jealous of their relationship. Obviously, she was seeing Daphne was seeing Sally in a new light. You know, mm-hmm. having her, seeing her have fun and having friends and hanging out. So. It goes without mentioning, Darlene lived in these deaf apartments, so she was also part of the deaf community. Right. And Daphne thought that Darlene was a lesbian, but never even asked this, just assumed. Hmm. Now... You know what they say about assuming. (laughs) Let me tell you, it gets worse. (laughs) 
this altercation that happened was the tipping point. So there was an altercation which Daphne went to visit Sally unannounced. And Daphne saw Darlene there. And Daphne, quote, got very mad and said, why are you destroying our relationship? Sally asked Daphne to leave. But Daphne refused. And Sally then suggested that Darlene leave. As she was leaving, Darlene gave Daphne the middle finger. Daphne then started walking towards Darlene, but Sally intervened by grabbing Daphne. Sorry, is there too many names? There's <laughs> There's a lot girls. happening there. I'm track. I'm keeping track okay. of it though, so you're you're doing good. All right. So Darlene. So after Darlene left, Sally and Daphne argued about Sally's relationship with Darlene. Sally subsequently asked Daphne to leave, but Daphne refused again. Sally then tried to leave, but Daphne blocked her at the door. So Sally's trying to leave her own apartment, and Daphne's not letting her. Mm. Eventually, Sally was able to leave and called the police. When the police arrived, Daphne agreed to leave. But on her way out, Daphne threatened Sally and said she would be very sorry. Ooh. Yeah. Famous last words. (sighs) So, this is where it starts speeding up. Four days after this fight, Daphne would reach out to Darlene and ask her to meet up with her on February 1st, 2006 to bury the hatchet. No. And she said she wanted to make a Valentine's Day surprise with her for Sally. No, no, no. Daphne asked Darlene to meet her at a local pizza hut for lunch and to go over the details. It was after the supposed meeting that Darlene was never seen again. Darlene's father reported her as a missing person two days later because she had missed two consecutive days of work on the 2nd and the 3rd of February, which was very unusual, of course, and was very out of character for her because she was a very responsible woman. At the time, Darlene had been dating a man named Jeff Hickman, and as the police were looking for Darlene and opened up the missing persons case, Of course, they were trying to track Jeff down to ask him questions. So the next day, uh, the Sioux Falls police found Sally's car that was abandoned at the Pizza Hut parking lot. In the car were her keys, her house keys, her wallet, her identification cards, And police also found clothing matching the description of what Darlene had been wearing on the last day she had been seen. And they also found her cell phone, which I learned that for someone that is deaf, and at least for sure for Darlene, it's a lifeline. That is how they communicate with everyone. Mm -hmm. So it was very unusual for her not to have it with her. Yeah. Police were able... To find and interview Jeff Hickman, her boyfriend, and eventually ruled him out. The boyfriend had no involvement in Darlene's disappearance. He gave an alibi. He was out of town at the time that she went missing some days before and some days after. So they completely ruled him out. 
because we know where this is going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Wait, the boyfriend didn't do what? it? What? No. Actually, for once, he didn't. <laughs> so while police were investigating the disappearance of Darlene, they discovered also a couple of other interesting things. On Darlene's computer, they found emails that were coming from someone named Wendy Smith. Now we know that this was an alias that Daphne was using. And Daphne had reached out to Darlene via these emails asking her to stay away from Sally. The investigation found that Daphne was using Sally's computer to send these messages to Darlene. And one of them read, quote, hi, this is Sally's lover, as you know who I am, right? Am very disappointed in you because you always visit Sally when I'm not there. Enough, please. Thanks. That's that's Good, where yeah. where I'm saying that the language, thing, yeah. right? Another one of the emails reads, "Don't come near the deaf home. You're stupid, and I hate your face. Go away." I know. <laughs> These are grown women. I hate your face. <laughs> it is. Oh, man. That's and funny. And I couldn't find pictures of them or any direct quotes. But on some of the research that I did, it I found that some of them were to the extent of like, you're ugly. That's what stay I Stay away. Yeah. And so very uh, teenager-y and lovesick, just gross. Yeah. You know, high school things. Anyway, that's just my take on it. But nonetheless, she was using emails to try and intimidate or mm -hmm. get Darlene to back away from hanging out with, with Sally. They brought in Daphne for interviewing on a missing persons case. At this point, she was not a person of interest. Mm -hmm. And Daphne initially denied sending the emails to Darlene. However, when the detective, uh, Mr. Olson, informed her that he possessed contrary information. So after she was confronted with this, Daphne admitted that she was a person who had sent all those emails. Daphne also reportedly changed her story regarding her meeting with Darlene at the Pizza Hut. Originally, she said she denied any meeting, stating at the, that the last time that she talked to Darlene was on January 29th. Later, she indicated that she was supposed to meet Darlene at the Pizza Hut, but that she could not go because her car was out of gas. Ultimately, she admitted that she did meet Darlene at the Pizza Hut on February 1st, and that they spoke for about five minutes in the parking lot, but that Daphne canceled the meeting because she did not have enough money to eat. So she said they met at the parking lot, they talked, but said, hey, I don't have mon enough money for lunch. And then parted ways. This interview, and this is important to keep in mind the times, otherwise mm -hmm. I wouldn't be telling you. The interview started at 1049 a.m. until 1254 p.m. So about two hours. Approximately one hour into the interview, Detective Olson reminded Daphne that she was free to leave and could stop the questioning at any time. Daphne did not request to leave or to stop the questioning. Also, I will mention that she was provided an interpreter at this point. It was a relay interpreter. Someone was translating what she was saying 
obviously to voice to the detective, vice versa. So if you've ever used an interpreter service, what would be a five minute conversation can take 10 minutes. It takes a lot longer. Yes. So at that time, so in knowing that she was free to leave, she consistently denied having any knowledge of, dis- of Darlene's disappearance. The parties, everyone agrees that at 12.54 p.m., Daphne unequivocally asked for an attorney. At that time, based upon her inconsistent statements and the information discovered during the investigation, police obtained and executed a search warrant on Daphne's person, home, and vehicle. Although she was not further interviewed, Daphne was put up on a hotel, was not allowed to go back to her house while the warrant was being executed. They released her from having to not go to her house at about 6 p.m. that night. So for about five hours, they were at her house. Okay. That's when the search of her person concluded. The search of Daphne's vehicle revealed reddish stains on the rear bumper that appeared to be blood. Subsequent DNA testing reflected that the blood matched Darlene's profile. A search of Daphne's bedroom in Jackie's home revealed a receipt from a hardware store. The receipt reflected that Daphne had purchased an electric chainsaw (gasps) on February 3rd, 2006. No, no, no. I don't like chainsaws. The search of Jackie's basement revealed fresh blue paint under which the police discovered cut marks on the concrete floor. Mm. Testing confirmed mm. the presence of Darlene's DNA underneath oh, the blue paint. No. A further search of the floor and walls of the basement revealed bone, muscle, and blood fragments matching Darlene's DNA. Following these discoveries, Daphne was arrested and indicted on charges of murder in the first degree, premeditated murder, Mm -hmm. murder in the second degree, which is a felony murder, and aggravated kidnapping. You know, this is why I won't go to haunted houses, because I'm afraid that the person with the chainsaw is actually a real person (laughs) with a chainsaw. Like... This is a perfect cover for a lunatic with a chainsaw. I know. I always just think pre- that, too. Yeah, just pretend to be part of the staff there, and then you'd mm. actually hack someone up. No, thank you. Not today, Satan. I will not be <laughs> not, going. Not today. No, you got the wrong one. Okay. So, the state's theory at trial, so the prosecution's theory, was that on February 1st, 2006, Daphne invited Darlene to the meeting at the Pizza Hut as a ruse, And that at some point after they met, Daphne lured, convinced, did something to get Darlene in the car with her. You don't think she hit her with the car? Maybe. That would explain why there's blood on the bumper. So that was never brought up again. What? I know. No. Okay. Police department. This is what happened. She backed into her and hit her. (laughs) Like, that's obvious. So, There's another reason her blood would be in the car, huh? Yes. Okay. So, Daphne, at some point, or Darlene, was struck on the head with a blunt object, leaving her with a seven-inch skull fracture. According to the prosecution's theory, 
Daphne also tightly cinched a plastic bag over Darlene's head, cutting off her oxygen supply. The cause of Darlene's death was either blunt force head trauma or suffocation or both. Based on what the findings were, both things happened so close to each other that, again, it could have been either the head trauma, it could have been either. Not sure which one took her out first. Exactly. The prosecution also presented evidence that Daphne tried to cover up the killing by attempting to burn Darlene's body. When that didn't work, Daphne waited two days for her social security check to come in so she would have money to buy the chainsaw. A worker at a local hardware store remembered specifically a deaf black female that had bought a chainsaw and was able to ID Daphne as the purchaser on a lineup. Wow. And at some point, presumably after the suffocation and the head trauma, Daphne brought Darlene into the basement of Jackie's home, the house that she was living in. And after waiting these two days, dismembered Darlene's body with the electric chainsaw, thus the marks on the concrete floor. Right. Jackie testified, so this is the homeowner, that when she arrived home from work on February 3rd, she observed Daphne cleaning and removing carpet remnants from the basement. She also observed Daphne loading bags of garbage and chunks of concrete into the back of Daphne's vehicle. And Jackie was like, okay. I don't know if she, why she didn't if question her. I somebody was doing that to my house. <laughs> like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> uh, excuse me, ma'am. Right? <laughs> what did you do in my basement? <laughs> right. No shit. Like, that's your house. Also, let me show you the pictures of what the basement looks like. Yeah. The blue paint. Oh, that's just a mess. Yeah, it looks like she literally, like, took Venus. it and, like, sprayed it in there. There's another picture of the blue concrete. So, like, it, it was literally just poured over the blood stains to cover it. Yes. Okay. Here's the the staircase leading down to the basement. I'd be really mad if I were Jackie. No shit. So, you guys, just so you guys know, uh, and, and we'll obviously post pictures we'll of post this for you. This, yeah. But the paint job, it's not by any means a professional job no it just looks poured on areas where there would have been blood yeah and they're like splotches of paint and it's not a blue that would blend in it was nowhere already in the basement it's kind of like it's a smurf blue right it's smurf blue it's kind of like if i had given my niece smurf blue paint and said have at it and she's two yeah and she had gone in with a paintbrush and just kind of like brushed it over randomly before she got bored so I don't know that there was an attempt to clean up stuff before there was even paint put over it. So this bl- this blue paint is just, it's letting every- everyone that walks like in know where the blood was. Band-aids over the... Exactly. Wow. It's a really, really bad hack job. So... Don't um, DIY. No, seriously. Also looks like a Smurf crime scene. Oh my gosh, totally. <laughs> and... So, no, there is no um, information on whether or not Jackie asked her, hey, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. There's no. Why are the, why is there blue paint all over my basement? That too. And allegedly Daphne then disposed of Darlene's leg, legs, I'm sorry, of Darlene's legs and lower torso in a dumpster behind a store near Jackie's home. 
Those body parts were discovered in an area landfill on February 11, 2006. An American Sign Language sweatshirt that belonged to Darlene was discovered in the landfill as well with the body parts. DNA from both Darlene and Daphne were found on the sweatshirt. The state alleged that Daphne disposed of the remaining portion of Darlene's body in a roadside ditch in Minnesota, which was not far from the South Dakota border where they lived. Yeah. Minnesota. So, um, which explains how they knew about the head trauma and all that kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah, so okay. they did find all of her body parts. Yeah. They're um, just scattered. They were scattered both. In you that, are just. I am a hot mess tonight. Yeah. Um, in that landfill and the side of the road. So okay. obviously there is an attempt to cover this up, which shows. Right. That this was not a passionate thing. It was premeditated. Premeditated. All right. So here's where this gets interesting as far as the legal stuff goes. Like I mentioned, she was brought in for questioning on a missing persons case just to see if she had any information. She was not a person of interest. They did not know that this was a murder case at this point. They only brought her in a couple of days after Darlene had been missing. Daphne and her defense counsel, and she was defended by public defenders, they did not want her interview to be admitted into the evidence because she believed she was in custody and was not advised of her Miranda rights, and that she was denied the request for a consult with an attorney, and that her statements were involuntary. Those are her contentions as far as not being read her rights. At no time during Daphne's interview that the police advice of her Miranda rights, mm -hmm. that is correct. However, police officers are not required to administer Miranda warnings to everyone whom they question. It's only if you're taking them into custody, right? That is correct. So rather, the Miranda rights are only required to be read to someone when they are having a custodial interrogation. If you're talking, you're talking. That's you. <laughs> right. And they told her that she could leave. Right. Simply by virtue of the fact that the police officer is part of law enforcement system, which may ultimately cause the suspect to be charged with a crime. So just because, again, you're being talked to by a law enforcement officer does not mean that you're under custody. So, again, you're not required to be read your Miranda rights just because you're talking to someone in law enforcement. There is no dispute that no restraints were placed on Daphne and that she was told several times that she was free to leave during any period of, the, of her being in that room. However, she argues that she did not feel like she was free to leave and that she felt tremendous negative pressure and that also she, quote, felt that she had no choice but to participate in the interview. Again, people, if you are not being detained, if you have not been told you are you're under, under arrest, you're yeah. under arrest, and... Sounds like those officers were really freaking good at their jobs. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and this is all recorded. Well, you're in a police station. We've talked about this. Yeah. <laughs> 
it's always going to be recorded. So I'm sorry they weren't the encouraging state, you to go. Right. And they let her know several times, you are free to leave. So at no point was she in custody. The door to the room in which she was being interviewed in was unlocked, of which she was made aware, but it was only closed for privacy. But it was, again, the lock was not on or engaged in any way. And the state saying, we have previously held that a closed or even a locked door does not in and of itself create a custodial interrogation. There were no restraints placed on her. She was free to move about the room and free to leave. We did not find, they did not find any error in their interrogation proceedings. So that was ultimately denied that everything she did talk about and her flip-flopping her story about where she was and what they were doing, whether or not they met at Pizza Hut, was dismissed. The second part that the attorneys brought up were whether or not she had asked for a lawyer before they're saying that she did. She claims that she had made numerous requests for a lawyer, but they were ignored, and therefore her Fifth Amendment right was violated. In this case, at approximately 12.30 p.m., Daphne asked Detective Olson, quote, do I need to call a lawyer? And this is where Detective Olson knocked it out of the park. His words are, quote, like I said, I just want you to sit here and talk to me. I want to figure this out. You know, if you didn't do anything wrong, then why would you need a lawyer? I want you to talk to me and tell me what happened. The interview then continued without Daphne requesting a lawyer. So you guys, if you're in an interrogation room, you have to say the magic words in the right order. Otherwise, they won't get you an attorney. Yeah. Don't ask if you should get a lawyer. Ask for a lawyer. Absolutely. Don't ask them for legal advice. That's what the lawyer's for. (laughs) Ask a lawyer if you should get a lawyer. Yep. So after she was given this rebuttal and shown this quote of the video, they no longer argued that her 1230 question, they realized that it was kind of ambiguous and was not an actual request for counsel. And it was just asking Detective Olson to clarify. I was asking for legal advice. Right, exactly. Tricks of the trade. Again, that was cleared up that she didn't ask for an attorney till 24 minutes later, 1254. She asked, can I speak to a lawyer? And, then, and that's when they executed the search warrant. Okay. The last part, and this is what I was kind of talking about at the beginning, it goes to her very specific situation of having competent interpreters and being made aware of what exactly is happening in her trial. Because just like anyone that's in trial, they have a right to do that, right? They, They need to know what's going on with their trial. So... Prior to the trial, psychologist Dr. McKay Vernon conducted an evaluation on Daphne. Based on his testing, he determined that Daphne had the reading ability of a third grader. A Bender-Gestalt assessment suggested that the possibility of brain damage, there was a possibility of brain damage, yet Daphne's nonverbal IQ was 114 to 117. That's up there. That's not dumb. Interesting. Really conflicting findings. Yeah, because her reading ability of a th- was a, that of a third grader. But she has a really high IQ. 
Yeah. Huh. That's really interesting. I shouldn't say a really high IQ, but she has like a, a low end of a high IQ. Not one that you would expect someone with a reading third, ability of a third yeah, grader to have. Exactly. So, um, yeah, that's interesting. Okay. So while Dr. Vernon indicated that Daphne had a very good grasp of American Sign Language, he also testified that there were many commonly used legal terms for which there were no signs. Oh. He further testified that it was difficult to convey many legal concepts to a person such as Daphne, who was prelingually deaf. That's, That's the word the I was looking for. Yep. Prelingually deaf. Yeah. So how do you explain things like that? Then you not only are you having to interpret, like, mm-hmm. um, like translate, you are having to then explain explain everything. Holy smokes, that so, must have taken forever. At this point, they had another professor, another expert come in. So this was Professor Michelle Levine from the University of Wisconsin Law School. Mm-hmm. She testified that Daphne communicated quite well with American Sign Language when carrying on a casual conversation. Professor Levine noted, however, that when she tried to communicate with Daphne about what was happening in her trial and in her case, quote, all of a sudden the communication was like we hit a, a brick wall. It was very, very difficult and incomplete. So Interesting. this just okay. goes to show that the concept. She really lacked an understanding of what was happening. Yes. Okay. First, uh, instead of employing a regular... American Sign Language interpreter to simultaneously translate in the courtroom. Mm -hmm. The court provided a personal assistant or translator to help communications between her and her counsel before and after proceedings so that she would understand what was going to happen and what happened. Second, the court provided five level five certified American Sign Language interpreters, three of them to interpret what was occurring in the courtroom, two of them to sit at the counsel table to facilitate communications between Daphne and her counsel. Third, the court provided real-time captioning in which every word that the court reporter transcribed was simultaneously projected onto a computer screen for Daphne and other participants in the galley to read. Daphne can't read, though. Right. Fourth, at Daphne's request, the trial was videotaped, which captured the American Sign Language interpreter's hands. Fifth, daily DVDs of the trial proceedings were provided for Wright, or for Daphne, sorry, to review every evening. So after every... Oh, wait, hey, she like lived and breathed her trial then. Yes. Daphne and her defense counsel were then given opportunity each morning to go over any communication problems that they may have had the day before. And finally, the court provided Daphne with the opportunity to take breaks at any time during the proceedings if she was having difficulty understanding what was occurring. So obviously in any other case, I hadn't seen this or heard of this, that at the person who's at trial's request... There could be a pause button anytime that they wanted to, that they needed to, to stop and take it in, to understand it. It would be granted. 
So hmm. this was very unique in that in that way. Okay. That they allowed her to do that. She basically ran it. <laughs> yeah. She's, it, it, it didn't happen too much, though. Mm-hmm. Although she was given that opportunity to pause the trial as much as she wanted, it only happened a, co- a handful of times. Okay. At the second hearing, the circuit court again found that due to Daphne's level of intelligence and her fluency in American Sign Language, the real-time captioning, the interpreters that would be provided, and the daily DVDs, the breaks during trial, it was providing meaningful accommodations to ensure that she was comprehending what was happening. So they bent over backwards They kind of went above and beyond, yeah. Um, The jury returned a verdict of guilty on all three counts. The jury found that a death sentence would not be imposed. This is what the state was looking for. They were looking for the death penalty on this case. The court sentenced Daphne to concurrent life sentences on the premeditated murder and aggravated kidnapping convictions. The court imposed no sentence on the felony murder conviction. Very interesting case. It was obviously... So she was found guilty and yep. is serving a life sentence then? or Correct. Okay. So two life sentences. Interesting. One for the kidnapping and one for the premeditated murder. Hmm. So the okay. felony murder was not um, given a life sentence. And where was Sally in all of this? So Sally was interviewed. She had no idea what was happening she was not involved in a murder whatsoever. Jackie was interviewed and she gave her testimony about what she saw February 3rd mm-hmm. about her loading and unloading, but again, had no idea what was happening. So this was all of Daphne's doing and seemingly just because of jealousy. What did you call this at the beginning? What did they say that this was called? The lesbian what? <laughs> the lesbian like uh, love triangle, triangle gone something. wrong or something. I don't love that. No. That's not because at all what happened. It, it assumes or makes it seem that A, Darlene was involved with Sally or with the other two. Yeah. Which she wasn't. Right. She had a boyfriend. She was just friends with one of the girls or right. the ladies. And there was no romantic relationship between it's not a triangle no it's definitely not nope so daphne just went on a jealous but it shows premeditation though i mean through and through Oh, totally yeah the fact that she said that she was gonna regret that and then four days Mm -hmm. later like this happens right oh yeah well she told i mean usually sally you'll be very sorry well yeah but that's probably what she i mean she was probably at that point like i'm gonna figure some shit out but Usually after four days, you calm down and you think, maybe I overreacted, but not everybody, no. I guess. The, the disposal of how she, what she did with the body is just terrible. Yeah, awful. So. It's really interesting to me, though, everything that they did at the trial to ensure that she was following and understanding. That's, yep, that's an interesting accommodation. They did a lot. Yeah. They definitely did a lot. I wonder who paid for that. The taxpayers, obviously. Oh, uh, yeah. And, I mean, she had public she had a defense. public defender. Yep. Yeah. Totally. The so taxpayers. it's not like she had monies or means to to hire. A, totally. And then there was something else that was brought up during the trial, and it was not proven by the defense of it being a valid point, but they also brought up that there was not a good representation 
of her community, of her area, in the jury. Because there wasn't enough black people on the jury. Ah, okay. I thought we were talking about the deafness. When I was reading that, the state proved beyond how many jury summons they sent out, how many people responded, how many of those exactly that they gave everyone a fair chance to respond. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, you know, they gave the good old I can't make it because of work, blah, 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 blah. But those people that did, it was a fair pool to pick from and there was no bias in choosing the the jury so the jury selection went on as normal and they did not prove that there was a prejudice in who was in the jury i think it's interesting that her disability probably garnered sympathy but her skin color is something that could have been potentially used against her. And it's interesting to me that you would want a jury of your peers as far as your skin color goes, but as far as your disability goes, that's not necessarily relevant. Yep. It's like one works potentially in your favor and maybe one works against you. I don't know. It's just I'm right. thinking out loud at this point. Right. I mean, at the, uh, I mean, at that point, I'm surprised she didn't ask for more lesbians on the panel or whatever. But that's a valid point. Like, yeah. If I mean, if we really want to talk about people being persecuted, like yeah, the fact or that she's equally represented, but the fact that she's a woman of color and mm-hmm. also a lesbian, that yep, yeah, or they proved that less than two percent of the population in South in Sioux Falls mm-hmm. is black. There was no way for her to have the representation that she was looking right. for. Out of 12 people, odds are two out of every 100 people. What? Wait, what? What? 2%? Never <laughs> math. mind. That's math. <laughs> it just broke oh you again. <laughs> oh, my mom's so disappointed in me. Oh, my gosh. Sorry, mom. I love percentages. <laughs> I love a good sale. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. <laughs> Wait, what? So, again, I thought this was an interesting case just because it was outside of the norm and it brought in some of that legal side Mm -hmm. which i find really interesting and i think the court and the system went way above and beyond yeah i would agree so if anything it ensured that there wasn't going to be any room for error or any possible appeals saying yeah. that she didn't comprehend what was happening so they were covering their bases and i understand yeah if that's what you're going to use taxpayer money on then do it yep screw the roads <laughs> every time you go over a pothole you know why now you <laughs> because re- remember it's this going story. to services like this <laughs> hard cut to our socials <laughs> Yeah, hard cut to our socials. We would still like to do a listener story episode. We have a couple. So if you do have listener stories or things that you want to send in, make sure that you send them in to us. And you can do so by emailing us at astrangerdangerpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at astrangerdangerpodcast. You can follow us on Facebook. And if you don't have Apple Podcasts, you can also review on Facebook. And you can find us under Stranger Danger colon a true crime podcast. And you can follow us on Twitter at SD True Crime Pod. Thank you guys. Awesome. Keep the combo going on our Instagram page and on our Facebook. Also, did I mention that this is a Pizza Hut that had a sitter location, which I missed those? Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs>
Me too. <laughs> Man, those wanna, were the days. I want to order my Pizza Hut and eat it there. <laughs> those were the days. With the salad bar. Yeah, I was... never touch the salad bar. <laughs> Slows down my pizza intake. <laughs> you can leave that in.